and welcome back to another episode of Box to Box. My name is Jesse Levine, alongside my co-host Alexander Purry and Akshay Wadwani. And we have a very interesting week in store, both from Champions League, El Clasico, and EPL matchups. And we're going to touch base on all of them. Um, but we're going to jump right into um, last week's results. And we're going to start off with the Champions League. And I think the biggest um, result in terms of kind of putting a team to bed is Juventus losing 3-0 to Villarreal. And not the only news to come out of Juventus this week, but also looks like Pablo Dybala ha- is going to be leaving after the season. Finally, we'll be um, hanging up the uh, black and white jersey for Juve and moving his talent somewhere else. But why don't we start off with the game, both analyzing it as well as what it means for Juventus in the future. And Alex, if you want to start us off there. Well, I think... You know, it wasn't this is to tell the truth. I think the, the manner in which Juventus lost was a surprise. I don't think anyone would have been too shocked if Villarreal pulled this off. And you look at Emery's history and knockout European competitions and Juventus' history recently of just absolutely bottling the teams that they really should be beating. But I, I really I kind of I, I don't like to jump on the bandwagon of pointing the finger at the manager after a game, but I, I think at this point it's uh, it's just I, I have to question some of the some of the moves Allegri has made. Um, first of all, why the hell is Rabio still starting? That it's I, I mean I know Juventus have their injury problems. Uh, you know Zakaria has been out, uh, Bernadette, but like put in Bernadeschi, change it up. Um, Alexandro also. Oh, sorry, Deschilio starting um, on on the sort of left wing back. You know, not not the move I would have made. I think Luca Pellegrini's done well when he's been on, but. The thing for me as well is that he took, speaking of Paolo Dybala, he took forever to bring Dybala on. I don't understand that. I mean, you're, it's, it's nil-nil, 75 minutes. You, you know, this is a tie that's still very much in the balance. Juventus realistically need the goal. I mean, they're the home team. The owners should be on them to, to take, you know, to take the lead and just put this tie to bed. And Allegri does not want to make any substitutions, which is puzzling because the team wasn't playing well. They weren't showing any signs that they were going to score. Um, and, and really, what, what what was even more remarkable to me was it, it were his comments after the match, where he says, "Oh, you know, we have to we, we have to accept it. We have to accept it. You're Juventus. I mean, th- four years ago they signed Cristiano Ronaldo because they wanted to win the Champions League immediately. That was their objective: immediate success in the Champions League. And now Allegri, their, their manager, is coming out and saying, "Oh, yeah, you know, we." We have to accept uh, losing 3-0 at home to Villarreal. I mean, where are Villarreal and La Liga? They're not even in the top four. They're seventh. They're seventh. Yeah. How I is mean, that mentality at a club like Juventus, who should be striving to competing in well, the, the lad, their latter stages at minimum in the Champions League every single year? Uh, Unbelievable. Aksha, I want to get you in on this and not just on Alex's point, but Alex, Alex also, you know, touched upon the fact of Allegri. It, are we are we looking too much potentially, though, Alex? I don't I don't disagree with you, but I do want to put the question out there. Are we looking too much at Juventus from a management standpoint as looked like a lot of the finger pointing last year was on Pirlo? And all of a sudden we look at Juventus, who granted Ronaldo leaves, but they get a top striker in Vlavic. And they're no different. So where are Juventus's problems right now? Um, 
A couple things I would touch on. Firstly, I don't know why Paulo Dybala wasn't starting in the first place, uh, especially with Federico, uh, Federico Chiesa still out with injury. Um, you're short on wingers. Why do you not have a world-class uh, talented winger, Paulo Dybala, who's proven himself time and time again, including in the Champions League? Why is he not starting? Um, I don't understand that at all. Uh, he's a Juventus veteran. He's been uh, with Juventus in the in the UEFA Champions League knockout rounds plenty of times. Uh, he's got the experience and the veteran drive that you need in a match like that. Um, so to not be starting him, I think, is inexcusable on Allegri's part. Um, I'm not too familiar with, you know, how much he's been a starter for Juventus this season in general. Um, but for a match like this, especially with the stakes, um, to not start him is ridiculous, uh, in my opinion. Um, I, I, would, <laughs> I would say, perhaps snarkily, that... Um, Allegri's comment that Juventus needs to accept this result is maybe a hint that uh, I would think Juventus fans just need to accept that uh, their team is no longer an international powerhouse. I think this is news that's been coming for a while. Uh, it's been brought on by the repeated failures that they've had in the Champions League. Um, it's really looking, they look really akin to a team like PSG uh, or, you know, I'll bring in Manchester United. Um, that might even be a more apt example. It, 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 no one's afraid to play Juventus anymore. Um, similar to how nobody's afraid to play Man United in the Champions League anymore. Nobody's afraid to play Juventus. Villarreal weren't afraid. Uh, even in the first leg, uh, they weren't afraid at all to play Juventus. And nobody's been afraid to play Juventus in the Champions League for years now. Um, and I think if, if you're not inspiring fear in your opponents, like a Bayern or a City, uh, then you're not a Champions League powerhouse. You're not a European powerhouse, unless you're inspiring fear uh, in opponents that should be afraid to play you. Uh, nobody's afraid to play Juventus anymore. So um, I think... Allegri's right in a sense. Um, you know, as cynical as it is, Juventus really have to evaluate their identity as a, or reevaluate their identity as a club, um, because I don't think they can seriously expect uh, people to still consider them, uh, you know, worthy of being on the same tier as a Manchester City or a Liverpool uh, or even a Chelsea. Um, it's just they, they don't have the achievement uh, and they don't have the consistency uh, on the world stage anymore. Um, and in terms of the problems that they have, you know, I, I, I think it's similar to PSG in that, you know, you have a lot of world-class talent that um, continuously struggles to play together well uh, when it counts uh, and doesn't seem to have the drive to win uh, and to want to win when it counts. Um, you know, similar to how PSG, you know, a very high payroll, lots of world-class players uh, who you would expect to do great things in the Champions League. Um, but they don't because they don't have the chemistry uh, and they don't have the mentality to win. And I think Juventus yeah, have a very similar issue going on. I don't really well, see. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Jesse. I mean, I was going to say I don't no, really no, see no. world class talent in this team. But that's exactly what I was going to say. Definitely less than PSG, but I would still say, you know, with the names that they have on that roster, you know, you still got guys like Dybala. You still got guys like Chiesa. Or granted, he's been injured for most of the season. You've got you brought in Vlahovic. You've got a world class keeper still. And, Oh, they they no, should not be underachieving this much. Let me jump in here for a second. I, I was going to say, um, I look I look at you, the team that Juventus put out there, and I think that that is a team that would probably, if we compare, put them in EPL, they'd probably finish seventh. Or that we, you have, what I don't understand is you play a back, you know, if, if you want to point the finger at the manager for this game, I, you know, potentially would for this game, not for their, just for their season. But when I look at, you playing a back three and you putting Danilo in there as a, you know, as a right center back, the guy could barely, barely play defense. You know, I think if anything, he's a little bit more dangerous going forward. I'm he's definitely not a fantastic defender. And 
think they kind of underestimated Villarreal to start with in the game if you're playing someone like that as one of your three def- uh, main defenders. Not to mention um, Rugani. I think Rugani was, is an even bigger example of someone who just can't. I, I, I completely agree. But Rugani, but Rugani is actually a true center back, while Danilo is more of a right back. Yeah, just you just have used him as a center back. Um, I think Benucci being, uh, you know, being unavailable was was a big loss. Chiellini was on the bench. Don't know why he didn't play. To tell the truth, I mean, no, no. Old, but, but here's the thing: none, none of those guys like VRL is a high paced offense, right? Super fast paced, especially through the midfield. I just look at Juventus midfielders, and there's none of them really have the defensive capability or the pace to match that. And that, for me, was one of the core issues. I just don't think they're that good. I, I, I hate to say it. I don't think Juventus are a very good team. I, I really think they would finish seventh if in EPL. They, they, I, don't, I don't see them beating any of the big six. I think that they could be potentially worse than West Ham. I mean... Oh, Vlaovic, West Ham would take their asses. Are you kidding me? With that, with that pace of offense? Vlaovic is excellent, okay? And he's going to be a really good player. When him and Chiesa are finally playing together, it's going to be fun to watch. Morata has never fully been able to find his place at home, including at uh, Juventus. I think he's, you know, ever since he was on Real Madrid and left, he's always been a slightly overrated player that's, you know, clinging to his name at his talents at 19. Um, the, the, the midfield, Artur, good. Rabiot, not, wasn't good enough for PSG. Not, not good enough now. Not, not um, good enough for Juventus either. I mean, not good enough for not good enough for Juventus. I, I don't know how this man continues to like. I, yeah, I'm starting to like become a conspiracy theorist here and like think that he was like dirt on the club, and that's why he's playing because it makes no. And he's called up. I think a lot of them have dirt well. on the club. I mean, it's Juventus we're talking about. Yeah, but, he must know something that we all don't. Um, but he's also been called up for France on the basis of what? I, I mean, who, who's France's coach? That is shocking. I don't Especially know. with the midfield talent the French have. Why do they and need Rabio? Rabio? I mean, <sighs> yeah, I, well, the French it, must be desperate. It, it, it boggles the mind, honestly, how the football community seems to rate him so highly. And the fact that they're just too slow to realize what everyone else who, who watches Juventus or Rabio himself um, regularly, he's just not good enough. I, oh. I agree. I, I think I think we need to change the conversation a little bit, but I, I'm going to get to one thing. One is I think Chesney's very overrated. He lets in way too many bad goals. Um, I, re- I really think don't think he's a fantastic keeper, but I do want to change topic. Sticking on this game, we have to give some credit to Villarreal. And I know we make fun of him, especially myself being an Arsenal fan, but Unai Emery has become a really good manager. He's now a four-time Europa League champion, has gone to the finals five times, most recently beat Manchester United in the finals with Villarreal, beating Arsenal in the semifinals as well, and now is in the quarterfinals of Champions League. I know they are having a mediocre season in La Liga, but outside of his stint with Arsenal, I think it's a little, it's time to put a little bit of respect on this guy's name as a manager and not be consistently making fun of him, which is tough for me to say, because I'm not a fan of the way that he managed Arsenal. But do you agree that we have to give a lot of credit to Villarreal, not just, you know, shit on Juventus for the way they played and especially. Especially to Emery, especially to Emery. Uh, Emery is quickly developing a reputation as a guy who, um, I I mean, if you just juxtapose him against Allegri, he's the opposite of Allegri in the sense that, he gets more out of his players than he has any right to. He creates absolute overachievers out of guys like Gerard Moreno, um, Mario Gaspar, 
Um, even their goalkeeper, Rui. I mean, he's been one of the goalkeepers of the tournament, in my opinion, out of nowhere. I mean, I don't think anybody had even heard of this guy uh, before this season. Uh, and suddenly he's been one of the best goalkeepers in the Champions League this year. Um, Emery is just, he's hes putting, he's getting abilities out of players that you would never expect these players to have. Getting performances out of these players that you would never expect, that you probably would not get um, if they were under the uh, reins of a lesser manager. And I think Unai Emery, in that sense, gets the most credit. He also has consistently been excellent at exploiting the uh, biggest weaknesses that bigger rivals have. And I think in this game, you saw that on par. Uh, he exploited the weaknesses in Juventus's pace and Juventus's midfield brilliantly. I think that's a big reason why Villarreal was able to win this game so comfortably. And and not only that, oh, go ahead, Jesse. I mean, oh. I, I think Villarreal, the way Emery set it up was perfect because, you know, for, for much of the game, Villarreal was happy to sit back and defend and play deep, um, even though there are vulnerabilities to exploit, um, you know, if they, if they were to go forward at Juve. But they sat back. They were happy to absorb the pressure, incredibly well organized. And then, you know, once they took the lead um, from, I forget whose penalty it was. I'm trying to put that game out of my head, tell the truth. Uh, Jordan Moreno's penalty in the 78th minute, um, who, by the way, didn't start the game. You, you know, he's their most, he's their highest scoring player, didn't start the game um, due to injury. But they hold out, they take their moment, they capitalize. And I think that's huge. And that's an example of Unai Emery's plan playing out exactly as he, he, he had laid it out to his players. Um, obviously, you know, once Pau Torres doubles the lead, that, that it's totally game over by that point. But, you know, he's a real, he's, he's very strategic in knockout European competitions. And look, he's an expert. Um, we have to give him credit for that. You know, yeah, it, it didn't work out at Arsenal, but sometimes, Jesse, the the manager in the in the club and the group of players, it's just not the right fit. Um, Absolutely. And I, and I think that's what we're, that's what we're seeing here. Um, because with Villarreal, he's, he's done a very impressive job. Quarterfinals in the Champions League, Europa League champion. And I, I think we also have to give him credit as well. They didn't have an easy group. I mean, Atalanta, who have, you know, made it out of the Champions League group stage uh, the last couple of seasons, who are a force in Serie A every single year. Uh, in recent years, have been pushing for that title. And then United, who are having their struggles, but still an incredibly talented group of players. I think to make it out of that group as well is very, very impressive. Um so you really do have to give props to to Emery, um, as poor as you mentioned have been, you know, credit words too. I want to shout out one more Villarreal player, uh, Raul Albiol. Um, his value uh, defensively as a leader, uh, as a locker room presence in that team cannot be understated. I mean, here's a guy who, you know, everybody would consider his heyday to have been in his days with Real Madrid. Uh, when he signed with Villarreal, I think, you know, it was a signing, it was an afterthought probably in the La Liga news. I think not a lot of people paid attention to it or expected you know, VRL to be particularly elevated by that. But, oh, my God, he has been the MVP of that team uh, in so many matches. He's been by far the MVP of the defense. He's brought veteran leadership that I think nobody expected him to really have. And I just want to give him credit because he has been uh, the anchor of VRL as a squad, in my opinion. And then also, when you look at players like Lo Celso and Aurier, I mean, these guys were like, you know, rejects at Tottenham. And now Both Tottenham players- rejects. Yeah, and they're now... I'll turn them into superstars. Unai Emery has guided them to a Champions League quarterfinal. Um, so it, it is very impressive. Look, the, the, guy, the guy has won big games consistently. And it's not always... Um, you don't always see consistency in terms of his team. But when games are important, there seems to be some consistency there, especially in tournament play. Um, and you got to give a lot of credit to him. Let's very quickly go into... 
I'd say, you know, we've we've shit on Manchester United so much that I barely want to touch this game. Um, as at least I said that this game was going to be a as expected, Atletico was going to win. But let's really quickly touch actually on Atletico. We've talked so much about Manchester United. And do they have a chance uh, against City? Do they? Oh, no. Well, actually, I'll let you go first, and I'll give you I my don't think so. My I, I, I know the I know the majority of us do believe yes, but um, I don't think they have a shot. Um, first of all, I mean, for all uh, for all their tactical brilliance and for all the failings of United, the, the tie was still not that uh, big of a gap in class. Like United were in it until the end, um, and you know whether whether that's just because of Atleti's tactics, um, you can argue all day. But the fact is, like Atletico squeezed by Manchester United in the end, um, which really. Uh, that, that is a squad with so much more talent, so much more class, and so much more ability to prove themselves in the Champions League than Manchester United. That tie should not have been close, in my opinion. Um, and so, you know, when they're going against a team like City, yes, City are uh, not perennial, but they do have a history of choking in the Champions League. But, I mean, you look at the roster that City has, you look at the performances that City's put in so far in the Champions League, and then you look at Atleti's roster and what they've done, and I just I, I think this is no contest. I think City wins this tie easily. Um, I think Atletico's time is, is you know, coming to an end. I think even maybe Simeone's time is coming to an end. Um, I think if, it, you know, even if it, fall, it comes against an opponent like City, uh, if Atletico are, are knocked uh, out of the Champions League at this stage again, I think Simeone's job now will be under threat um, from what I've learned and what I've seen of, you know, the position he's currently in. So, no, I, I don't I don't fancy Atleti in this title. I mean, well, 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 look, I mean, much like Juventus beating Manchester United is nowhere near the achievement that it might have been, um, you know, five, ten years ago. But the thing with Atleti is that this is a team that we know is capable of frustrating anyone. Their organization at the back, the way they can kill you at the counter, they do not have to play well to win. You know, this is a team that will sit back the entire game, take their one chance, and that, you know, that will decide it. Look, Manchester City are obviously the favorites. They have a much, you know, more talented squad, more depth. But I I think there are a couple things um, to consider here. One, they have a history of choking in the competition. And if there's any team that they would choke to, it would be Atletico Madrid. And I just think the circumstances here are perfect. Simeone has, you know, has shown that he can get the job done. He can take Atletico far. Hasn't done it in years, um, but is still capable. This is this is an Atletico Madrid team that knocked out the 2019-2020 the Liverpool team that won the Premier League with 99 points, that beat them at Atle- in, in Madrid and then at Anfield. So very much not a team to be underestimated at all. And then, you know, there's also City, you know who they play in between those um, those two quarterfinal legs against Atletico? They're playing Liverpool in what could well be a title decider. So that, I think, adds another dimension to this. How do City balance, um, go you know, a trip to Madrid and then two games uh, at home, one to Liverpool and one to Madrid? I just think, you know, when you look at all of those factors, I, I can really see Atletico pulling an upset here. Well, I want to I want to speak to your point about Atletico's defense because I think I, I would like to point out that Atletico's defense hasn't really been tested um, by an offense the likes of which City has, other than their group stage matches against Liverpool, both of which they lost handily, if I remember correctly, uh, and in their meetings, let's say in La Liga, I would not put Barcelona on this level. Let's say Real Madrid. Um, so you could give them credit there, but I, I just they, they just have not faced uh, the the type of quality that a team like City has often enough for their defense uh, to be considered proven to me. Well, I want to get to Alex's point. You know, I, I feel so bad for City having, you know, such little depth on their team that they need to deal with Liverpool as well as Atletico in, you know, such a short time span. Um, 
Look, in all in all seriousness, I think this game comes down to one big thing. And we know that City are going to dominate possession. We know that they're going to get their chances. The question is how many shots are actually going to get to O'Block. And I think that if sit if Atletico's defense can do an excellent job, not just playing defense, but shot blocking on defense, City will take their chances. And they have guys that can do it. And, and you, I expect, you know, De, De Bruyne's got a boot. Gundogan's got a, Gundogan's got a shot. Mar, Mar's left foot is a thing of beauty. Um, I'd be curious to see if they play Sterling or if they play Grealish, whoever it is. I mean, if the Grealish, Grealish could shoot from anywhere. Rodri could, you know, could take a blast. Cancelo. I mean, these are they're guys. All that, they're all Cancelo. I mean, these are guys that anywhere within 25 yards from net are dangerous. So I think the question is, are how much are Atletico's defenders going to step up on the ball and be able to block shots? And if they could do that, I think there's a there's an actual game here between City and Atletico. If they try to sit back too much, then I think they're going to take their chances. And at some point that City's talent's going to take over and they're going to score a little and then I, mean, gonna... I, I think I think Atletico definitely have to be wary of like conceding too much possession to City. Like you said, like we know City are going to dominate possession. But something else to consider as well. City play a very high line, and those balls behind can can kill them. And Atletico excel at that. If you look at the way Atletico play, they'll kill you with one ball over the top. And we saw this happen when City played Tottenham, and they ended up conceding three goals at home in a 3-2 loss. So I think that's a route for, for Atletico as well. I think, you know, when, it, when, you, when you take that into account, the, and the fact that Atletico will frustrate City, it's, it's not just going to be them sitting back. It's going to be the challenges that are coming in. It's going to be the shithousery from their players. Sure, but City are used to that. That are happens they? in, in this, that happens I'm in London. That happens detail. in the, not, the vast majority the of the Premier League play. matches they play. Alex, this is what City does. They know that the teams they play are going to sit back and absorb pressure because that's the only way you can fight off City. <laughs> you sit back and you rely on the counterattack. That's how you beat City. That's probably the only way you can beat Manchester City. But it's because also- and that's and that's why I'm speaking. I want to Jesse, I want to speak to your point about Atletico's defense. I think most importantly, their defenders are going to have to hunker down in and around the uh, 18-yard box. Um, Because if you think about the way City plays, this is not a team that settles for long shots very often. Yes, they have guys that can strike a ball, like you said, the guys like De Bruyne, Hanselo, Grealish can shoot from anywhere. But this is a team that thrives on finding high percentage shots from inside the box. They will spread the ball wide. They will kill you with crosses into the middle. They will continue pinging balls into the box from all areas. And so Atletico has to hunker down in the penalty area if they want a shot here. It can't just be blocking shots from the top of the box. I, we, we, got a, we got a lot of more games to get into, so I do want to, for the sake of time, move into a little bit of the other games that we think are really interesting for this Champions League bracket. And at least for me, the most interesting matchup of the quarterfinals is Chelsea-Real Madrid. And two teams, I mean, Real, Real Madrid coming off a astonishing comeback, as we've talked about from not only a you know, standpoint of skill, but a standpoint of professionalism and class and determination. Um, and you have Chelsea, which have started to find their form recently. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but look who they keep playing up front. Kai Havertz called, called it a month ago. So start playing Havertz up front. You'll see what happens. Scored a beautiful goal versus Newcastle, which in the game we'll get into in a little bit. Um, what do we think of this game? Do we think that um, is this is a is this a deadlock? Is this Real Madrid slight advantage, Chelsea slight advantage? Alex, take it first. I, I think most people would have Chelsea as the favorites, um, but I'm also going to lean uh, 
towards the Madrid side, as I did with the um, with the City Atletico game. I think that for all of Real Madrid's problems, even the fact that they were outplayed for much of the tie against PSG, when they step up and they have a history of stepping up in the Champions League, they can reach a level that I don't think Chelsea or, or many teams in Europe are, are capable of. I think what we saw against PSG, who are a much more talented group of players for all their problems in Chelsea, the way they absolutely bossed PSG in those last 30 minutes and toyed with them, um, you know, I, I don't see how Chelsea can, can cope with that. Now, you know, whether Real Madrid, that's the version of Real Madrid that will show up is a different story. Obviously, it wasn't the version that showed up when they lost 4-0 to Barcelona this weekend. Um, but when you look at guys like Benzema, the form they're in, I think Alaba and Militao have formed a, a very, very strong partnership. Chelsea were by far the better team when these two sides played last season, but Madrid have improved significantly, and I I just think they have the edge in this one. Yep, I would agree. Um, I think this comes down to Real Madrid's defense. Uh, we know that Chelsea, we know the potency of Chelsea's offense. We know what it's capable of. We know that it's pacey on the wings. Uh, and we know that Kai Havertz is an absolute goat through the middle. Um, so this is going to come down uh, the Real Madrid fullbacks, Carvajal and Alaba. They have to be absolutely, I, I think Alaba plays in the left. I don't know. Alaba switches he plays more like all back. <laughs> um, whoever the left back is then, uh, I think maybe Lucas Hernandez, right. Or someone like that. But anyway, if the, yeah, the point is Real Madrid's fullbacks have to be absolutely dialed in from start to finish in both legs. Um, that's the only way they're going to be able to fight off Chelsea because those wingers are going to be all over them. Pulisic, um, oh, of course, I'm blanking all Chelsea's wingers. <laughs> the point is those guys are going to be all over them from the wings. Uh, and so this, I think this tie really comes down to Real Madrid's defense. Can Militao and Alaba and the other center backs, can they deal with Havertz in the middle? Uh, can they deal with the balls that are, be, are, are going to be coming in from the wings from guys like Pulisic? Uh, are the are the fullbacks most importantly going to be able to deal with that pace down the side? Uh, Real Madrid's defense is going to be key in this tie. I think Benzema can have his way if, with Chelsea's defense if he wants to. Their defense, we know, is far from invulnerable. It's probably Chelsea's Chelsea's weakest point. Uh, Mendy's going to be having to make a lot of saves, I think, especially from close range. We know he's capable. Um, but if you know, if if I'm um, if I'm the Chelsea manager, I'm telling. Uh, Antonio Rudiger, that he better train hard this week uh, because I think he's going to be man-marking Karim Benzema, uh, and that's going to be a matchup for the century. Um, this is probably going to be a matchup that could define Rudiger's career in the long term. So, See, I, I disagree. You think it's about Chelsea's offense. I think it's about Chelsea's defense. Well, I think Chelsea, it's about Real Madrid's defense. No, I, I, I think that's what I'm saying. I completely disagree. I think it's about Chelsea's defense here. Well, look, when Chelsea were at their best last season, they were a – nightmare to go up against defensively because they were locked down. One of the reasons Mendy had so many clean sheets was because he didn't have a lot of work to do. And they've slowly lost that form this season a little bit. Um, granted, they've had a little bit of injuries. Um, Thiago Silva hasn't played every game. Rudiger hasn't played every game. Um, yeah, as, as Bill Quetta has been in and out here and there. But I think this is about Chelsea's defense. Can they handle the not just the attack but the midfield and the creativity of Tony Cruz and Luka Modric who are going to be providing service to a Vinicius Jr. who is a nightmare to deal with um, from a speed standpoint. I actually expect Rudiger to switch from the left side of defense to the right side of defense to cope with Vinicius's speed as he normally plays on the left side which is where Rodrigo or Asensio are going to play. 
So I, I expect him to switch to the right to deal with the speed, have Tiago Silva in the middle, a veteran presence trying to deal with Benzema, play more on from a soccer IQ standpoint than anything else to um, handle him, and potentially Christensen or Chalaba on the left-hand side. But I think Christensen's injured, isn't he? Nope, he was back. He, oh, he's he played, back. He I know, but you are right. I overlooked Tiago Silva. Definitely have him, Mad Mark Kareem, yeah. not Antonio yeah. Rudiger. I think it's a very interesting matchup. I mean, you're looking at two yep. veterans who've shown, even in their, even at their age, they are still world-class players. That's going to be a really interesting one to see. Yeah. So if Chelsea can get back to their roots, which is why they beat Real Madrid last season and won the Champions League, then I think that they have a very good chance of going through. They've started to play better football. Um, we're going to get to El Clasico in one second, but Real Madrid just looked terrible. We'll see how they respond to, you know, a financial Audi team, a lot of, like I said, a lot of professionalism, a lot of veterans. I'm sure they'll shake it off and respond. But I think if Chelsea have their defense the way I just said, where Rudiger from, goes from the left side to the right side to deal with the pace of Vinicius, who has been a nightmare for a lot of defenders, we're looking at a completely different game. And we may even see like a 1-0 Chelsea win. Um, why don't we, speaking of Real Madrid, hop into very quickly as we don't touch upon it enough, La Liga, and we'll get into the biggest rivalry in soccer, Barcelona versus Real Madrid. And I don't really, we, we could analyze the game. I think that Barcelona honestly could have won this game 6-0, 6-1. But I'm going to throw out two questions. Number one, where does Xavi go from here? What, where, great, we, he, he won what are the next steps for Barcelona? And number two is this starting lineup is of all different ages. You have young, you have old, you have in the middle. In the summer, Barca have clearly shown that they can now compete. What are the next steps for Xavi? And what is the next steps for this lineup? Actually, I'm, I'm, I want to hop in actually here really quick to start with. Um, I think it's two things. Number one is Aubameyang started to find his form. Form is temporary, class is permanent. We, we all know that. Very happy to see Aubameyang playing really good football recently. Honestly, could have had more goals. He had a chance in the beginning of the game and frankly missed a tap-in towards the end of the game. At the end. Yeah, missed an absolute sitter. But he's enjoying his football. I think you need to look at a few things. Number one is PK's a, a legend, but they, they, they need another center back. They, they need to have a really good center back pairing for the future. And number two is, is you need a, a wing back. I think the defense is where Barcelona are going to need to improve. Ter Stegen's still good. You have a very fun midfield to watch in Pedri, Frankie D. Young, Gavi, Busquets, and then an attack that at times is lethal in Ferran Torres, who is a very hit or miss player. Aubameyang, again, finding his form, he'll obviously be at Barcelona next season, but he is starting getting older at 33. And depends if they, I believe, Triori's on loan, if I'm not mistaken, it will depend. They do, but I think you sure up the defense first. You have so many offensive weapons. Look at offense afterwards. Massive credit to Xavi, though. They played absolutely brilliant, and I think Real Madrid were in shell shock. 
Yep, I would say the primary goal for this season, uh, they've got to secure a top four finish. Yet they're third currently at the table. Atletico are right there with them on 50, uh, on equal on 54 points. Uh, Real Betis, very close by, only four points behind. Um, so the, the, the battle's not over for that top four spot. Or it might be La Liga, only the top three qualify for the Champions League. That's I'm not top sure. Four. Um, top four. Top four. Top four. Yeah, so then they've got to push for top four. Um, if they don't get Champions League football next season... Um, you keep. I think Xavi's definitely guaranteed himself uh, the the manager position going into next season. Um, but if they don't get Champions League football this season, that's the season is a failure. Um, despite all the successes that Xavi's had, um, and I don't think that uh, he'll be fired for that. Um, but if they're still in the Europa League next year, that's that's a failure. Um, and Xavi would have to take a serious reflection on what the, they missed and the consistency that needs to be put in place um, for the next campaign. Well, what what do you hold on? I think because I, I disagree. I think Xavi's done an unbelievable job, even if they slightly lose their form here. I mean, he took over a Barcelona team that was in shambles from a guy that said he was the savior of Barcelona. I mean, and, and took and, and recently Touch had Brendan Rodgers himself, Ronald Koeman. Yeah, I mean, and, all, and also took it over from a, a, you know, just beforehand, an incompetent, um, you know, you know, d- director, you know, for, you know, of, what, you know, the upper the, management, the upper hierarchy, upper man, you know, entire upper management. Which, by the way, I still think with John Laporte is, you know, medi- really mediocre at best. I think I still think he's a little bit clueless personally, but I think Xavi's completely turned everything around for Barcelona. I could, if they made it to Europa League, this guy gets at least two more seasons, and I think if they make it to Champions League, he should be manager of the year for La Liga. This is a completely new side. <laughs> A lot of different players that they've signed to start with, they've immediately meshed together. That's not very easy to take guys, put them in the seat, take three, four different guys, put them within the team, an entire new front three in Torres, Aubameyang, and Traore. Re, you know, the, the resurgence of Dembele is another, is that a completely another story in itself. Most assists in any of the top five leagues in seven since January leads the, you know he deserves a ton of credit and like i said i think he should be if they make champions league um manager of the season for la liga i think he's done an unbelievable job and it starts also with the culture that he's completely changed yeah completely, completely agree yeah, no, I, I, to be clear the, if if they were to not qualify for the champions league i don't think that would be on Xavi. i think that would be on the players uh, depending on, on the manner in which they fail to qualify um, but I think that that's the exact thing. I think, Jesse, you, you lend almost to my point in that you're saying with the level of success that they've now had, the standard that Xavi has set and the position they now have put themselves in with the wealth of talent they have in their roster, there's no excuses not to qualify for the Champions League, especially in La Liga. They should be qualifying for the Champions League. And if they don't, I think that is considered a failure with the talent they have in the squad, with the resurgence that they've had, with the form that they've found. They can't lose that now. They can't lose that at this stage in the season. I think it, it's, I wouldn't, again, it's not a failure on Xavi and it's not a, it's not an overall negative reflection on the season, but it is a failure of the season if they don't qualify for the Champions League. And I think if it, that should be the goal, that has to be the goal. Alex, I want to draw to you on this, but I also want you to answer this question is this, you know, Barcelona team doesn't, you know, I wouldn't say it reminds me a lot of the, you know, the young team that was there, you know, 12, 13 years ago. But it is very you know, refreshing to see that there is an influx of talent at a very young age at Barcelona right now. Um, Torres, Davi, Pedri, who I think right now has got to be the best 
under 20, you know, potentially under one 21 player in the world. Um, absolutely brilliant. And by the way, if you did, if you didn't see his goal, if like a week ago where he like faked, faked out three defenders and just tapped it in right past the goal, like, please go watch it. Um, does, you know, Alex in two years, is this Barcelona team ready to be back at the top? I mean, look, look at the young talent they have. I think honestly, if, if they get it right over the summer, um, obviously Champions League uh, qualification is big on that. If they get if they get it right over the summer, I think um, they, they they absolutely will be. Um, you know, Jesse, like you said, strengthening that back line I, I think is key. The midfield has performed well enough. They have enough talent going forward, um, as they've shown. You know, we've seen them put just since January uh, four past Valencia, four past Napoli, four past Athletic Bilbao. Uh, four past Osuna, now four past Real Madrid. Um, so going forward, they're fine. I think they're strengthened up at the back. Yeah, they they, they will be. Um, I I do believe that. Um, Pedri will will be a better player next year. He's still developing. Um, guys like Gavi are still developing. Frankie De Jong as well. Um, so I I would be pretty confident in the direction that Barcelona are headed in. I don't want to get too carried away. Um, you know they are in this twelve game unbeaten run, but it's only twelve games. But so far, the signs have been overwhelmingly positive. I think Xavi looks up for the job. The football they're playing is, is exciting. It's, it's on brand. And, you know, I think that it's very refreshing as well to see a lot of these young academy players come out and really show that they have a lot of potential and get the job done. We've seen Barcelona, uh, as they've tried to, like, just buy talent ready-made and look at the mess that's gotten them into. So I think, you know, look, there's a lot of time. We don't know how good guys like Pedro Gavi will be, but for Barcelona, I think it's key that they have players coming out of the academy who understand the, the philosophy of the club, the style of the club. And I think that as long as that's the case, even from not, you know, at the level they were when Neymar was there, you know, when they won the treble or under Pat, right. They will always be a competitive force in Europe. So. Yes. And, yeah. and building off of that point, um, the, by far the most encouraging sign of the direction that Barcelona is going for the future is, especially with guys like Pedri and Gavi, the fact that Xavi is finally shifting their focus back to what made them such a formidable dynasty in their in the early 2010s and late 2000s, which was they did not focus on shelling out money to big name players who had unproven chemistry with each other. They built from their own roots. All of those guys from that dynasty, Messi, Iniesta, Puyol, Pique, uh, Dani Alves, uh, Sergio Busquets, all of those guys almost exclusively either came up through Barcelona's own academy or rose through the ranks of other reputable soccer academies and were signed with Barcelona and became Barcelona lifers at a young age. That is how Barcelona has found success in the past, and that is how they're going to find success in the future. And that is a really encouraging sign that Xavi is shifting the focus back to that, to youth development, rather than signing big names who don't play well together. Yep. I, I, I think that's a great point, Akshay. And I also... You mean, maybe his presence on the field is, isn't always recognized, but someone like Donny Alves bringing back where people go, well, he's 38 years old. There's certain things that, you know, that actually when they say, you know, the eye test, sometimes it passed, you know, it, it actually passes the eye test in terms of the fact that we don't see it, such as the locker room chemistry, a, a, veter, a veteran presence, understanding the club values. When you bring in a lot of new players, especially young players, um, or just an entirely new front line of uh, front three, it's important for immediately you know, them to understand what this club's about. And you take a legend, probably the best right, right back of all time, Danny Alves, to still be on the team um, as a mentor and still a player on the field that could perform here and there at a decently competitive level. 
It's very important. I think that's something that's been overlooked this season. Um, they you know, potentially a big reason from an internal standpoint why the team's meshing so well together. Um, almost like, you know, it's Chavi's right-hand man on the field without him being um, actually a player still. So um, now that we've covered a little bit of El Clasico, let's get into EPL. We did have, I wouldn't say that there were any incredibly exciting games, but there were a lot of important games this week. Uh why don't we start off because when we did this podcast last, we did it on Monday. So Arsenal have played Liverpool, a big three points for Liverpool. Um, Alex, what are your takeaways on this game with Arsenal and Liverpool? I think it showed once again that Jurgen Klopp's side are, are up for are up for fighting for titles in all three fronts that remain, FA Cup, Champions League and the Premier League. Uh, for much of the first half, they were on the back foot. Uh, you, you saw Klopp raging on the touchline. But in the second half, they did what mature sides did. Um, there was an element of professionalism. They snatched the lead, didn't look back from there. Um, I think, obviously, um, they still got into very dangerous positions, even after Firmino put them 2-0 up. And Arsenal, when you look at the form they're in, I think going to the Emirates and winning the way they did is is massive um you know that for me besides man city was the toughest test that liverpool were going to face at least in the premier league uh for, for the rest of the season so i think the fact that they passed that um quite comfortably in the end is is massive i think it's going to give Klopp and the Liverpool team a ton of confidence they can really push city all the way and look you know if they can come out of the emirates with all three points there's no reason to think that they can't come out with anywhere uh from anywhere else at least Premier League-wise, with, with all three points either. So I think, you know, we're going to see it go really right down to the wire um, between them and Man City. I think if you look at outside the 18-yard box on both sides, pretty pretty even game. Thought that the Arsenal midfield played very well. I think, it, you know, the, the conversation needs to be started to direct at how good Thomas Partey is for Arsenal. I know that they this team lost 2 nothing. And we'll get to the one nothing win Aston Villa in a second and how important that is for the top four race. But Thomas Partey consistently since AFCON, I think has been one of the best midfielders in the Prem, if not potentially the best. And I really do mean the best. Um, he is absolutely busted. This guy was brought over for 45 million from Atletico. And I think he's finally starting to show why that was a, a price tag that was deep, pretty high for them as a release clause. Um and why Atletico weren't willing to sell him unless they hit the release clause. I mean, this guy is really good. I mean, really good. And I thought he got better of the Liverpool midfield for a lot of the game. But quality but quality counts. And when it came to the final touches, Jota put what I think is a weak goal past Ramsdale. Ramsdale should have done a lot better with that. But he saved us a lot. So, you know, you could only complain so much. And then... You know, kind of just another kind of, you know, just not nice cheeky goal that Firmino scored. I think that Liverpool definitely were the better side of the two. But this is the first time I've actually seen Arsenal really compete with Liverpool. I think Liverpool consistently just match up really well against Arsenal. They are better structured where Arsenal try to be a more stru- a very structured team and beat teams that way. So I would say that this game was massive for Liverpool. It is not a big defeat for Arsenal, as I want to quickly talk about their win against Aston Villa. Um, goal from Bakao Saka dominated the game. 
I think this is Arsenal's race to lose, but who is the biggest challenger for them right now? It's either United or West Ham, probably. Really? Uh, I think Tottenham. I would say well, Tottenham. Yeah, I was going to mention Tottenham. I think, uh, I would say Tottenham are a guarantee for that. So, you know, it, it's, uh, this because you're, you're fighting for two spots in reality, right? It's the it's the third and the fourth place spot. Or, or no, no, Chelsea have got the third place spot wrapped up. So yep. then, yeah. The end, yeah, the, the biggest challenger is Tottenham then. Uh, I wouldn't count United out of it. Maybe that's my bias showing as a fan. Um, but we we leave it. We always leave it to the last, but we do tend to get there in the end. So I think United are not out of this race, and I think Arsenal should still consider them a force to be reckoned with. West Ham at this point are probably uh, on, the outs, on the outside looking in, um, but not completely out by any means. Um, but, yeah, I would say the two, it's mainly Spurs that they have to focus on, um, but don't count United out of it either. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think at this point, it's very clear that the two biggest games on the calendar for the rest of the EPL season that could be penciled in is Liverpool versus Man City at the Etihad and Arsenal versus Tottenham at wherever, whatever, Tottenham's new well, not stadium. Well, um, not to mention Arsenal versus United as well at the Emirates later in the season. Yes. Yeah, if uh, I yes. can be honest, I do think United are a little, uh, they're, they're two, they're four games back, the two, you know, the, Games out of hand. Off. Well, you know, it's four, tough, but we still have Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I understand, but what, look, I, I and a, I, and a I, healthy looking Veron now. It has to be said that could make a huge difference. That the, you know that term. I, I granted, I love Ronaldo, but that term we have Cristiano Ronaldo has been used so much this season, and I get it that he's bailed teams you know out. But I heard it in the first leg of athletic of the Atletico. I heard it in the second leg of Atletico. I've heard it. I heard it against, you know, Manchester City, you know, every, every single game, you know, last 10 minutes, man, you lose my one. We have Cristiano Ronaldo. He's a great, but he's one player. And soccer's, in, you know, there's 11 people on the field. I, th- th- it only goes so far as if, you know, he's, he's also, he's older. He's, he's an amazing player, but he's, he's older. Um, I, 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 I don't think that, it, that that's going to cut it for them. So, the thing I look at is, Alex, I'm going to throw this to you. We've shit on Tottenham, Conte, but all of a sudden they're, granted they one, have one game more and they're three points back. An Arsenal loss and a Tottenham win, and they are in a dead heat. Granted, again, they are, Arsenal will have one game in hand. Mm-hmm. They are in a dead heat. If they get top four, is the amount of criticism that was delegated to Conte. And the fact that they're currently in fifth, when Conte took over the job, I believe they were in eighth, a little bit unfair to him, basically because he's had such a good reputation as a manager everywhere else. And people also like to mess with Spurs. So like, are, are you asking if it'd be unfair to criticize Conte if they get fifth place? Is it unfair? Is it unfair to criticize Conte of the job he's doing right now? He's taken them from eighth to fifth. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I think, you know, I think you can criticize the way that Conte has conducted himself in public at times. I don't think publicly throwing your players under the bus in January and saying that, you know, this group of players isn't good enough. That, that isn't, that isn't fair. Um, and I think, or rather it's fair to criticize him for that. Um, I don't think it's really a wise thing for, for Conte to say publicly, but in terms of the, the results on the football pitch, um, I think there are things that, that you can criticize him for, but overall, I think it's clear that he's done a good job. The Spurs were, their top four hopes were 
zero when he took over. Um, and he has brought them back into that race. They've looked a much, they have looked a much better side uh, since he's arrived at the club. And I think particularly when you look at the, the link up between Son and Harry Kane, as we saw against West Ham um, this weekend, I think he's really utilized that to, to really great effect. Um, we saw it against Man City as well. So I, I think, you know, it, it's early. This Tottenham side has been struggling for many years now. And I, I think just because Conte doesn't turn it around instantly, doesn't, you know, even though he has a history of doing that at other clubs, you still have to remember where Spurs were before they, before Conte arrived. Um, so I think Conte needs time. I think if, you know, once he has a summer to really get the players that he wants that fit, that fit his system, then that's when we can really start to, to scrutinize and, and critique the, the job he's done. But I think first he has to have a full preseason and a full summer um, before we can really assess how good or badly he's, he's done at Tottenham. Yep, Fair. I would agree. Um, I would point out Antonio Conte does not have a great record uh, past the first season, uh, especially not with the Premier League teams he's uh, been with. So I would say to Spurs fans, be wary of that. Be wary that Antonio Conte is very much a first season manager. Um, he tends to stave off quite a bit, um, even outside the Premier League in, in seasons after his first with the club. So I would be wary of that if I was Spurs He won the league at intern the second season of the club. I mean, he's not going to win the league at top. Yeah, I would consider that an exception. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and also, uh, Inter did win the league, but they still underachieved outside of that um, in in that second season. So, you know, domestic success is one thing. But for Tottenham, um, the next goal, right, is to achieve more internationally. Um, And if Conte is unable to do that, um, then, you know, I would still consider that a failure, even if they did well domestically. So... Yeah, but what 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 can he do with this Tottenham side? And like, if if he doesn't make Champions League, it, it's it's not a, it can't be a failure. He took the team in eighth, but then we're also giving him a lot of crap. Yeah, not this season. No, no, but I'm saying right. just in, yeah. he's gotten a lot of crap for the way he's managed the team. But they're they're doing better than when he took over. But you know, personally for me, again, I hate Tottenham with a passion. All right. I don't like the fact that Conte called out our manager Arteta, you know, and said, you know, which completely un- unnecessarily, by the way. Like, yeah, un- un- unnecessarily. He's not even involved in, like, he has no passion for the Arsenal Tottenham rivalry. Like, it's not like it's embedded in him. Um, but I think they've been very unfairly criticized. Like, every time they've lost a game, we, we've, we've given them a lot of crap. Um, teams lose games. They're, they're Actual team is just okay. It really is from in terms of a player standpoint. It's Outside just, of Kane and Son. Yeah, I thought Kane and Son, like, uh, you go look at the transfer window, besides Kulisevsky, like, who's okay, I guess. Okay, well, I okay, come on, come on, come on, come on. I think Kulisevsky is a quite better at Spurs than he has in the past. Than he had in the past You're right. Juve. He's, he, he's uh, that's something I have contact credit for as well. He's good. Okay, fine. He's good. But, again, out, outside of that, they're, they really are a mediocre side. So I think if they get top four, you have to look at potentially Conte in terms of a contender for manager of the year. I, 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 oh, I know you that. Do. You do, Akshay. Absolutely. Okay, he's got a lot of crap. But if when Conte took over the job, if it was anybody else, probably besides Conte, if it was, if it was a regular you know manager, like let's say it was Ralph Rednick, you know, it would – the idea of finishing top four would have been an outstanding achievement. Conte's legacy, though, it, the expectations are through the roof. And I think it's very unfair, some of the criticism he's got. Granted, they haven't played 
great football, but they weren't playing great football beforehand. So I, I think that this race isn't over. If Arsenal could, you know, if Arsenal win and Tottenham lose at any given point, tot, tot, the game versus Arsenal becomes a must win for them to even get back into the top four. Um, In the conversation. Yeah, I mean, but look, Arsenal took care of business and Tottenham took care of business over the weekend. So they're being the teams that they should beat. Um, let's quickly go into the rest. Why don't we touch base on the Leeds game, which if anyone watched was an absolutely unbelievable game. Um, yeah. So actually, why don't I, I throw it to you for a minute? So, okay. So if you watch the game for Leeds, I mean, this was a unbelievable game. Um, believe at some point there was like 14 minutes of extra time, if I'm not mistaken. There were, there were, the, yeah. the second half was, uh, was 56 or almost 60 minutes long. <laughs> so quick takeaways. This is a massive, massive, massive three points for leads, really protecting them a little bit from that, um, from the bottom, but yeah, they're starting I'm, to look more like Newcastle every week, aren't they? Um, yeah. And Newcastle have been faltering, so uh, with however bad luck. Um, but uh, this is a Jekyll and Hyde performance by both teams, I think. Wolves um, being at their strongest in the first half and then completely collapsing in the second, has to be said. Um, and Leeds looking pretty rough in the first half uh, and then coming all ends barred in the second half and just, you know, completely overwhelming Wolves pretty much. But yeah, this is, uh, this is, I think, what is starting to be typical of Jesse Marsh's leads, however short his tenure has been so far, which is that um, they never count themselves out. Um, and that's an attitude that you have to have as a relegation-threatened team. And I think he's instilled that mentality pretty instantly in this squad. And that's you know great to see. And it's great to see that he's recognized so immediately uh, the mentality and the attitude that he needs to instill, not only in himself and his tactics, but also in his players. Um, and especially giving uh, oodles of confidence back to guys like Ailing, uh, who scores the winner rather luckily, but uh, scores the winner in this match uh, in extra time. Um, you know, it, it, most of those Leeds defenders look dead um, in, in those latter matches before um, uh, before Marcelo Bielsa was fired. They just their body language um, from zero to 90, um, their performance, their their passes, their the way they played. Uh, they just looked like they'd already given up on the season. Uh, and Marsh has really instilled new life in a lot of these players, but instead, especially in the defense, uh, which for a coach like Marsh, who's very offensively minded, uh, is really encouraging to see if you're a Leeds fan. The fact that he's able to instill this much confidence uh, in an area of the pitch that he's not an expert in by any means, um, it's, it's really encouraging if you're a Leeds fan. And I think just this is a, the latest example uh, of what Leeds are going to be doing, I think, for the rest of Premier League season, which is they're going to be fighting tooth and nail for every point, for every goal. Uh, no deficit is going to be too large for them. And I think that's the attitude they need to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the last thing that, we, you know, I, we didn't have this on the planning doc, so I am going to throw out a little bit of surprise to you guys um, before we end this show, is I do want to go over your guys' player of the weekend. And this can be for any league, um, any game. And I will start it off. Um and so we're giving you guys some time while you guys look up or figure out who you want. I am going to go with actually a name that is almost never brought up on this um, podcast because we rarely talk about this team. And that is Everton, who, when they got down to 10 men, scored a massive goal in the 91st minute to win the game. 99th so, minute, actually, speaking of long uh, stoppage time. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, so... I'm going to bring up 
Alex Awobi as my player of the week, only because of how important that goal is to Everton's relegation fight, who now look a lot cleaner in 17th place than they did before this game. Um, once that red card was put in place, we were thinking Everton are going to lose this, or you know they, they're going to they're there's going they're going to choke again. All of a sudden, you know one two good plays happen, put the ball in the bit, you know great finish from Awobi putting the ball in the back of the net. They go three points above Watford with two games in hand. I think that they are going to probably be good, but a massive goal. So Alex Awobi is going to get my player of the weekend. Alex. I'm going to go Hyung Min Son. Um, Tottenham and West Ham were in a big match for, for top four that had implications. Uh, you know, we talked about top uh, Tottenham and top four race and not really being able to afford to lose. Tottenham stepped up, and I think that Hyung Min Son as well stepped up. His link up play with Harry Kane, once again, spectacular. Um, the runs he made in behind West Ham's defense causing them problems all game. Um, two very well taken finishes. So, yeah, another impressive performance from him. And, it, you know, it keeps Tottenham's title, uh, top four hopes, just about alive. Absolutely. That was going to be my player if you if I wasn't going to go with Awobi. Akshay, your player of the weekend. Yeah. I'll cop out. I'll choose Son as well. I can't really think of a, another candidate. Maybe someone from Villarreal, considering their performance against Juventus. But, I mean, Son is just... Obama, yeah, maybe, but I mean, he blew so many chances too oh, in that he match. He should have had like I, don't, uh, I think we're being. Oh, hard that's hard. not fair. He scored two goals. great goals. Yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't. We didn't touch a lot on the on the El Clasico. How many chances Barcelona blew and still won four 0 which speaks, I think, to Real Madrid's incredibly shitty defense. I don't know what happened, but Edo Militao had probably the worst match of his career, I think. But um, that's we were, we're already past that. But yeah, I'll, I'll go with Son. Uh, it was very uncharacteristic. Um, yeah, but... really. Um, but yeah, Son. I mean, he's just he's on another level. He was he was the reason Tottenham won that game by far. Um, you know, not not taking away credit from the other Tottenham players, but I mean, he was just on another level for the entire ninety minutes. Um, should deserved a hat trick. Should have had a hat trick if not for Kudzuma's foot. So. Um, yeah, I'll give it to him. He continues to be the better half of that duo, in my opinion, especially this season. Um, and yeah, he's just class act legend. Yeah. By the way, Kurt Zuma's foot. I mean, fuck, fuck his foot. The nine is on his hat. Yeah, Kurt Zuma's foot just can't do anything. Like, <laughs> he really can't do anything right, honestly. But... Also, by the way, the fact that he wasn't, was he even suspended for that? I don't think so. Which is that's, another oh, that's you so know, shitty, issue man. with the Premier that's League. Like... But yeah. Yeah, right. very disappointing well, from West Ham's part. Well, a little bit of karma then with that own goal. That's true. Yeah. His, his so, cat is somewhere laughing watching that. That's true. <laughs> Look, well, with that, folks, that's been just about an hour or so. That's going to be another episode uh, of Box to Box. So for myself, Alex, and Akshay, we will see you next week. Um, there is no EPL next week. So we are going to go over more in Champions League, even break down CONCAF a little bit and probably potentially even go into a Fantasy 11 again, which is just a proposal. I'm not guaranteeing it, but we may do so just because it was so successful last time. Akshay will certainly not be part of that Fantasy 11. He'll be a judge just based off his decision <laughs> last time. So with that, we will see you next week and take care.